Well, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Thank you, Betty. Great job. Take your Bibles. Turn again to John chapter number 20. John chapter 20 and verse number 1. The unimaginable has happened. Jesus is dead. The disciples had not believed that it would end like this, and they had not yet grasped the truth of Jesus' prophecies of resurrection. All that was left was utter hopelessness and shame of remembering their denials and how they had deserted him. Joseph of Arimathea, along with the aid of Nicodemus, have wrapped the body of Jesus and laid him in a new garden tomb. I want you to notice with me this morning four things about the empty tomb. First of all, the intentions of the women. Mark chapter 16, verse number 1. Jesus had been crucified on Friday, and his body lay in the tomb until he rose from the grave on Sunday morning. This is the first significant mention of the first day of the week, our Sunday, which came to be known as the Lord's Day the day of his resurrection. It was the day that came to be set apart by the early church as their main day of corporate worship. John merely tells us that the women went to the tomb early on Sunday morning, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. But Mark specifically tells us of the purpose in their doing this, When he wrote, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. At any rate, before dawn on Sunday, Mary and several other women make their way to the tomb. Now John only mentions Mary. However, you would notice if you look at verse number two, the plural We, Mark tells us that it is Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James. Luke includes Joanna and other women. Mark makes it clear that the women are bringing additional spices to place with the body of Jesus. The burial had been rather hurried because of the rapidly approaching Sabbath. They wanted to make sure that the burial was completed with all due reverence. Of course, any lady would know that you can't trust two men to do a job correctly, so they're going to check in to make sure that the body of Jesus has been cared for. Mary loved the Lord, and the bottom had fallen out of her world when he had been nailed to a cross and died. It probably brought her some degree of comfort to engage in the one act of service that she could think of, that she could perform for the Lord, and that was seeing that he had reverently and lovingly been prepared for burial. So according to verse 1, at the earliest possible moment, a group of women, perhaps the same women who had stood at the foot of the cross, Return to anoint the body of Jesus. Mark tells us that these women are worried about being able to move the stone 
in order to gain entrance into the tomb. Of course, in that concern, we can see that they did not perceive the slightest possibility that the body of Jesus would not be there. They had no thought that the resurrection had occurred. It was obvious that their love was greater than their faith. From the intentions of the women now, we move secondly to the information that was reported beginning in verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Well, the first thing that we see is that the stone has been removed. As Mary arrived at the tomb, the first thing that she obviously notices is that the stone had been removed. Can you imagine how her heart must have pounded and what thoughts must have run through her mind? This is no small accomplishment. The stone that covered the doorway to the tomb would have weighed as much as a thousand pounds. The verb that John uses in verse number one is not the one that we would expect for rolling a stone. It means more like lifted up. It would seem that John means us to understand that what has transpired here was no ordinary phenomenon, but rather result of an exercise of divine power. Matthew tells us how this was accomplished. He says in Matthew 28 two, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. The appearance of the angel so unnerved the Roman guards that they fell to the ground in a daze. And when they had recovered, they ran from that place as fast as their legs would carry them. All this occurred prior to the arrival of Mary. When she arrived, there was no sign of anyone and the tomb stood open. Now, it has to be said that the angel did not remove the stone in order to allow Jesus out, but rather to allow the women in. The second thing we notice is that the tomb is empty. Obviously, Mary looks in the tomb and she notes that the body of Jesus was gone. The body that they had come to anoint was not there. Even the most confirmed skeptic today does not deny that the tomb was empty. Mary conveyed her startling news to, in one very short, brisk sentence, verse number two. They had taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Even at this point, Mary does not give a thought to the possibility of resurrection. The empty tomb meant only to her one thing. Someone had moved the body. But where was the body? There would be seemingly only two rational explanations for the empty tomb. Either Jesus' enemies stole the body or his friends moved the body. But if his enemies had taken the body, they would have produced it and stopped all of the speculation about a resurrection. 
And if the friends had taken the body, it is not likely that they would have died martyrs' deaths for a lie. The tomb was empty. Contrary to the precautions of his enemies and contrary to the expectation of his friends. Mary hurried out to tell the other disciples what she had discovered. And so we see third, the investigation of the report. Verse 4 says, and so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Peter and John leave for the tomb as soon as they hear Mary's report. And it's interesting to say that Peter and John ran. Since in the first century Palestine, in their culture, grown men didn't run. It was undignified. John tells us what the disciples found at the tomb. John uses three different words which are translated into English as saw. But they have three different shades of meaning. I would invite you to underline those words in your Bible and note the differences. We find the first in verse number five when we are told that John arrived at the tomb first. Stopping at the entrance to the tomb, he stooped down and looked inside and saw. Underline that word, saw. The word simply means to look and see. The word conveys that John simply glanced into the tomb, and there he saw that Jesus was not present. But he did not understand what had happened. The second use of the word saw is in in verse number 6, which tells us what happens when Peter arrives. It says, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw, here's your second use of the word saw, the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. When Peter arrived at the tomb, he brushes John aside. Doesn't that sound like Peter? He brushes John aside And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the word used here is a different word than was used in verse 5. And this word is the word that we get theorized from. To theorize means to wonder regarding the meaning of something. It means that Peter took a long, careful look and thought about what it meant. A word... Ought to be said here, I guess, about the linen claws lying there. The literal translation of that phrase lying means still in their folds. The first thing that John and Peter noticed was the empty grave clothes. There was something unusual about that scene. The grave clothes lay as if they were still wrapped around the body of Jesus. And the napkin, sometimes translated towel, which had been over the head of the Lord Jesus, was not lying with the linen cloths, but instead 
was in a place by itself, neatly folded. The fourth thing I want you to see this morning is the implications of their finding. Then the other disciple, that's John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw, here is again the word saw, and again it's a different word, and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. We speak of the empty tomb because Jesus was not there. But it was not completely empty. The final use of the word saw is a word that means to see with the result of understanding. The apostle John saw and he believed. But what did he believe? Does that mean that he simply believed the report of Mary that Jesus was gone? No, I believe it was more than that. When John looked in and observed the grave clothes were left of this, the body had been raised out of it. He made some assumptions. First of all, if it had been grave robbers, they would have either torn the linen cloths away from the body and left them in a pile jumbled together, or they would have taken them with them, not bothering to unroll the body in that place. With the evidence in front of him, he concluded that what had occurred was not something terrible. On the contrary, he began to believe that something wonderful had happened. And although he did not fully understand the implications, he believed something marvelous had happened. Why did John believe? Something he saw in the tomb made him believe. I believe that there was great significance in the fact that the napkin was folded and in a place by itself. Dr. Clyde Box tells a story about the significance of the folded napkin. He writes, the custom of the folded napkin has to do with the master-servant relationship. The servant prided himself in knowing his master's wishes. When he prepared the table for his master to dine, he made sure everything was just right, and then he would leave the room and wait out of sight. He dared not talk with the master, dared not touch the table until the master had finished eating. They communicated, but they had a different way to communicate. The master would sit down and eat. If he got up from the table, took his napkin, wiped his face, and wadded the napkin up and put it down and left the table, then the waiting servant would rush to clear the table. But if the master got up, wiped his face, folded the napkin and put it down and left the table, then the servant would not move. The folded napkin meant, I'm not finished yet, I'm coming back. It made no difference how long the master was gone. He didn't touch the table. The folded napkin says, he's not finished yet, he's coming back. When John came into the tomb and looked inside and saw the linen cloths and the napkin folded neatly in its place by itself, knowing the Jewish custom, 
John was comforted. He's not finished yet. He's coming back. The napkin is still folded. These two things, he is alive forever and he is not finished, should speak to our hearts even today. What John and Peter discovered that day at the tomb was nothing less than evidence of a resurrection. What had happened that day was different from the rising of Lazarus and any of the other risings in the Old or New Testaments. When Lazarus came forth from the tomb, he needed the help of those who were present to unwrap him from the grave clothes. Lazarus came forth from the grave in his own his old body. And in time, Lazarus would die again. But when Jesus rose, he needed no help. He simply left the the grave clothes behind as he rose into resurrection life. Jesus' resurrection was different in kind. This was not a resuscitation, but resurrection into a glorified body. It is the physical body that Jesus had, but it is changed. It could be recognized as Jesus, but somehow it was different. John Stott explains that the body of Jesus was transmuted into something new and different and wonderful. The resurrected body of Jesus passed through the grave clothes, leaving them intact. Just as Jesus would later be able to pass through closed doors without opening them, as, a, as well as appearing and disappearing suddenly at will. What does that tell us about the resurrected body that we will have? I don't know, but it's going to be glorious. The resurrection teaches to the disciples and to us today that life came out of death. When we have experienced a dark night of despair and we are overwhelmed by circumstances beyond our control, there is hope. What is it that gives a family courage to stand beside a fresh grave? How do we get past the knowledge that Christians are being killed around the world today? What comforts a young couple who have to recover from the death of their baby? When a family receives tragic news of a family member killed in a plane crash or a a child overdosed on drugs, what single truth becomes the whole focus of their lives? What is the final answer to pain and grief and terminal illness and fatal accidents? One thing, confidence in the resurrection. The resurrection reveals that God was and is in control. Even when his hand is not easy to see, there is hope because God is in control. He who rose from the dead, still alive. The life that he offers to all those who believe in him is not just in the hereafter, it is now. 
In Jesus, we are given hope, hope for a new beginning. Eugene Harrison wrote, How do I know that Christ is risen? What what proof have I to give? He touched my life one blessed day, and I began to live. How do I know he left the tomb that Easter long ago? I met with him this morning, and my life is all aglow. How do I know that Christ still lives? Rich blessings to impart. I know it's true because he lives and reigns within my heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for truth. A truth that Jesus did rise from the dead. And because of that resurrection, there is proof that we too will have life beyond the grave. Father, help us this morning. There may be someone here this morning that has never put their faith and trust in you. They have never taken the opportunity to to reflect on the fact that Jesus died for their sins. And they've never availed themselves of the opportunity to receive what he is offering. And that is salvation, forgiveness of sin. If there's one here today that does not know that truth, then Lord, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts. For those of us who are saved, I pray that you'd help us to always live in the light of your resurrection. To live in a way that draws attention not to ourselves, but to you and to all that you've done for mankind. Father, we pray for this time yet ahead. We pray that your will would be done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.